Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. This is from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Join me in reading the word of our Lord and Savior. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Born again. When I first became an elder, uh, I started reading about how to prepare a sermon and, and listening to podcasts. And, and one of the things the sermon writers always say is, is, is how important illustration and metaphor are. So when I was preparing this sermon, I, I prayed that the Spirit would reveal to me a a metaphor, and I still hadn't come up with one a few days ago, so I decided to go back and reread the text, and I kept thinking, a metaphor, a metaphor for born again, born again. Well, that is the metaphor, right? That is the illustration, and it was good enough for Jesus to use with Nicodemus, so that's what we're going to talk about today. It's probably a phrase you're familiar with. Most people think they have a pretty good idea of what born again means. It's the kind of phrase that keeps bumper sticker factories in business. Pollsters that ask questions about religion have started a category in their research called the don'ts. Uh, Those people who don't know if God exists, don't believe God exists, or don't care if God exists. And it's interesting that surveys show the number of don'ts at an all-time high and rising. But at the same time, the number of don'ts is up, so are the number of those people who call themselves born again. As of 2017, according to the American Culture and Faith Institute survey of religious attitudes in America, 31% of Americans now identify themselves as born again. It's interesting because the same survey also found that 54% 
of those who call themselves born again don't believe in a consistent standard of moral truth. That, that they believe rather that moral truth is up to each individual. And two-thirds think Jesus Christ did not live, I'm, I'm sorry, two-thirds think Jesus Christ did live a sinless life, which means a third did not. That's interesting, isn't it? More than half of those calling themselves born again didn't agree with Jesus' teaching about truth and morality, and more than a third believed Jesus had engaged in some sin during his life. Despite calling themselves born again, I wonder if they even know what Christianity is. And among those who say they're not born again, a poll recently found that 70% of them would not want to live next to a born-again Christian. They seem to think born-agains are like Jehovah's Witnesses who are incessantly knocking at the door, refusing to take no for an answer. Generally, people think born-again means one of three things or some combination of these three, three things. Many th people think born-again means some sort of emotional ecstasy, a, an abandonment of reason, a, a deep dive into blind faith, faith that, uh, that dispenses with facts, faith without questioning, uh, faith in myth and superstition. These people mostly think born again is a, is a crutch for those people who are unable to think for themselves, or, or maybe people who are broken and at the bottom of society, the outs. Others say born again is a, is a strict moral code of, of uh, ethical behavior. They, they think it's an emotional crutch too, maybe, but it's for those uh, who need religion to set tough rules, who, who need religion to set strict boundaries. They may even tell you born again is a, is a label that separates the holier, from that, from, the holier than thou from the rest of society, that, that it's uh, something people use to say they're better than everyone else. And then there are those who, um, many who probably call themselves born again, who think it's a brand identity, it's just the kind of church they grew up in. For them, many of them are, are even a little embarrassed by the label. So that's what other people think born again means. It's all emotion, it's all strict rules, or it's a, a brand identity. Uh, today I'd like to consider what the Bible says born again means. And, and then we're going to ask who Jesus says must be born again. And then we're going to talk about how we apply Jesus' view of born again to our own lives. First, to understand what born again means, look at who Jesus is talking to. From what the passage says, we know Nicodemus is a pretty important guy. He's a, he's a Pharisee, and so he was someone who would have taken the 613 rules of the Old Testament very seriously. Um, he's a leader of Israel, John says, so he's a member of the ruling council, a member of the Sanhedrin. It means he was probably pretty well off financially. He was probably wealthy. And we know that Nicodemus was a great Old Testament scholar. Jesus calls him Israel's teacher, so he was probably one of the top scholars in Israel. And he was probably older. He's probably an elder of Israel. That means, well, it doesn't have to mean you're old. I mean, elder doesn't have to mean old, right? Anyway, for those who think born again is for people who, who, uh, who, who need to follow rules, who need a strict code of moral behavior, well, that can't be right because Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He's about as moral as they come. But Jesus says, you have to be born again. And for those who think born again is an emotional experience for the social outcasts or the broken, 
Well, those on the outs, well, that can't apply to Nicodemus. He was, he was one of Israel's winners. He was a leader. He was a Pharisee. He was a scholar. So clearly, it can't be that born again is just about morality or, or having an emotional experience. You, Nicodemus, Jesus says, not emotionally fragile, not a person who's hit bottom, but a rule follower extraordinaire. You, Nicodemus, need to be born again. So Nicodemus comes to speak with Jesus. He recognizes Jesus is a great teacher, and he does amazing miracles, and he says, God must be with you. And it says Nicodemus comes at night. So it seems Nicodemus doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. If you're a fan of the chosen TV series about Jesus' life on, on YouTube, like my wife and I, then maybe you think Nicodemus is looking for spiritual counsel. Maybe he's uh, tired of the rote, uh, performance-driven religion of the Pharisees, and he's looking for spiritual awakening. And maybe that's it. Nicodemus wouldn't want to be seen getting spiritual counsel from a, a backwoods preacher, so maybe that's why he comes at night. But if you work in politics, maybe it sounds like Nicodemus wants to start a negotiation, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's why Nicodemus comes at night. And Nicodemus starts by saying, we know you are a teacher, and so it sounds like he's speaking for another group of people, and Nicodemus is indeed a member of another group, the religious establishment, who over time come to hate Jesus and eventually murder him. So it's possible Nicodemus is thinking this is a negotiation and he's going to cut a deal with Jesus to play ball with the Jewish establishment. I don't know if that's it, but whatever Nicodemus' goal is, Jesus seems to defy Nicodemus' expectations right at the outset. Nicodemus says, we know you're a teacher sent by God, and in what sounds like a bit of a non sequitur, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Nicodemus seems to be a little blindsided by that. He says, you can almost hear him sputtering, saying, how can someone be born when they're old? And then maybe in a slightly too graphic illustration, he says, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. Now, Nicodemus is response doesn't sound to me like somebody looking for spiritual awakening. It sounds to me like he doesn't fully understand what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus doesn't let him get away with that. Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't even understand what I'm saying. How can Jesus say Nicodemus should know what I'm talking about? Well, because Jesus is paraphrasing passages about the new birth from the Old Testament. Just one of those verses is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verse 6, where it talks about new birth. It says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. But what's this new birth actually mean? I think Jesus starts showing us in verse 6. And in verse 6, in just five words, Jesus tells us everything that's wrong with the world. And then in the next seven words, he tells us exactly how to fix everything that's wrong. The first five words of verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh. That's what's wrong, isn't it? He's saying that by your, your natural birth, you and I and Nicodemus, we're all flawed, we're all failed, we're all selfish. He's not talking about the flesh on your body. He's talking about your, your heart. Your heart is deeply flawed. It's selfish. It, it wants what it wants, and it doesn't want anything getting in the way. 
Isn't that our problem? The problem of the whole human race? We want to be the God of our own lives. In fact, we'd love to be the God of the lives of the people around us. We live like we're the main characters in our own novel. We're the her heroes and the heroines. And the novel is all about us. But the truth is, rather than the hero or the heroine, we're more likely the villain. And, and where does that get us? It gets us broken hearts and selfish desires and, and shipwrecked lives, lives without meaning or, or purpose. And then Jesus, in the next seven words, tells us the solution. He says, first, flesh gives birth to flesh. And then he says, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And I want you to notice here, Jesus says the spirit. He doesn't say lowercase spirit. He says the spirit capitalized spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of God. It's the third person of the Trinity. Again, Jesus is paraphrasing the Old Testament, this time from Ezekiel, where God says in Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 26 and 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus that by fleshly standards, you're on top, you're the best of the best. But by spiritual standards, you need to be born again. You need a new heart, you need salvation. And isn't that what born again means? New life, spiritual life, transformed life? Remember in Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then in verse four, verses 4 and 5, he says, but because of his great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Jesus is using the term born again as a powerful metaphor for, for mental transformation, for emotional transformation, and for volitional transformation. What do I mean? Well, philosophers tell us that the mind is made up of three parts. The mind, the second part is emotion or feelings, and the third part is, is will or volition. And to experience new birth radically transforms each of these as aspects of your soul. Some people say, you Christians, the, the problem with you is you've re replaced reason for superstition. You've, you've stopped thinking. You've checked your minds at the door and sacrificed facts for faith. But here's the problem. Science can tell us a lot about the nature of things. It can describe the universe down to the tiniest atom. It can take apart your DNA and assign genes for various characteristics of your body. It can... It can it can, uh, it can tell you down to the molecular level what is in Aunt Martha's uh, uh, Smith Island cake. But it can't tell you why Aunt Martha made that cake. Was it a birthday party? Was it a wedding? Was it a bar mitzvah? We Christians have nothing to fear from science. We know science matters. It, it has a lot to say about what and how and, and even when, but science can't really tell us why can't explain the meaning of life or, or why we're here. That's the realm of philosophers. But secular philosophers have to depend on their own knowledge, their own experience, their own perspective. It's like people who grew up in a sealed house with no access to, to the outside, no, no information from outside, no television, no radio, no, no books. 
and they try to explain the, uh, what existence outside looks like. The, the people in the house can surmise, they can guess, and maybe they can even make up some wonderful stories they tell each other. And it doesn't matter how big the house is or how beautiful the furnishings. As long as there's no access to outside information, it's all personal opinion until they get out of the house. But what if someone comes into the house from the outside? Someone who's been out there and can describe it. Someone who claims to know exactly what exists outside the house and even more why it exists. That changes everything, doesn't it? You don't have to believe that person. That's up to you. But now you have new information. You have revealed information. And now your questions become more pertinent, more, more pointed. The whole conversation changes. That's what the Bible is. It's the revealed word of God, the creator of the cosmos. And Jesus comes into our sealed off word, world and he tells us exactly what exists and why. You don't have to agree with him. But if you disagree, then you're disagreeing with the only objective information we have about what exists outside the house. Jesus says, I made it all, and I promise you I'll work it all for your good if you believe. And let me take a quick jump down a sidebar here. Some people find it odd that Christians buy into a, a way of thought that includes virgin birth and resurrection and, and maybe even a certain perspective on sexual behavior. But you can't hate Christianity because there's something you disagree with. Christ didn't come to agree with you. He came to change you, to transform you, to transform your relationship with ultimate reality. If you're offended that Christ proclaimed he was the one and only way to God, well, you have to get over that. You have to doubt your doubts long enough to consider what he said and who he is and, and what he offers. Consider him as a person, not just as a founder of a philosophy or a religion. Look at the way he talks. Consider his, his courage. Think about his teaching. Look at his miracles. Look at the, the way he changed people around him. Consider the impact he has even today on our world. Then, if you don't like Jesus, if, if you don't think he is who he said he was, if you really believe it's all myths and stories made up by people who would rather die than recant their eyewitness testimony, then you have to candidly ask yourself if it's Christians who aren't believing the evidence and the facts, or if it's you. As Nicodemus learned, Christ doesn't come to meet your expectations. He meets your deepest needs. So that's the sidebar. Back to the sermon. So born again means mental transformation. When we believe the gospel and we see everything in a new light. It changes everything. We see everything through a new lens. It changes our worldview. We have a new understanding of ultimate reality. But in addition to mental transformation, new birth means emotional transformation as well. When Jesus says, you must be born again, and we start understanding things in a different light, then we also get a new way of feeling about things, a new conscience. Once you realize how much you are valued, how much you're loved by the one who created the cosmos, it changes everything. The way of the flesh says your relationship with ultimate reality is always inward focused. Most religions tell you how to, how to earn it, how to climb the ladder, how to grope your way forward to a relationship with God. 
It's every other religion except Christianity. It's striving to earn God's favor. That's the religious compulsion. It's about my work. It's inward focused. Or maybe you're looking for meaning in life through living in the flesh, raising yourself up with good times, or making more money, or having more thrilling experiences. Think the prodigal son who blew his inheritance on fast living. Again, it's what brings me pleasure. It's inward focused. There's also the, the secular route to meaning, turning yourself over to the pursuit of social justice or radical economic change or healing the climate. You can mandate everyone drive an electric car by 2030 and, and uh, believe that you're more carbon righteous than others and you're fighting carbon sin. It's virtue signaling without the virtue. And again, it's inward focus. How can I compel others to live according to my opinions? But Christian life is different. We've accepted the free gift of Christ's love, and now we're free to love others. That kind of love isn't inward focused because it can't be contained. It comes from the Father to the Son, from the Son to the Spirit, from the Spirit to us and through us to the rest of the world. And that's profound emotional change. It's all outward focused. It's not about me or about how good I feel about myself. What do I care what others think of me if, if I know the one who created the universe loves me? What do I have to lose if I've been invited for free into the family home of Jesus Christ? Now I can love others fully and serve others unselfishly because the creator of the cosmos loved me that way. And so being born again means transform, transformation mentally so that you see everything in a new light, but it also means transformation emotionally so now you can love without constraint. But you're also given a new will, a new power to exercise your mental and emotional transformation. Born again means radical volitional change. Once you realize you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose, it empowers you to live for others. It's a free gift that you don't have to pay for. Instead of paying God back, we pay it forward. Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good deeds. Your neighbor does. God doesn't need you to be a good employee. Your employer and your fellow employees need that. God doesn't need you to be a good husband. Your wife does. God doesn't need you to be a good father. Your daughter desperately needs that. Blessed, blessed to be a blessing isn't just a, a saying we have for Bay Ridge Christian Church. It's, it's the defining principle of the Christian life. It's faith lived out in love. It's blessing from the Father to the Son, from the Son to the Spirit, from the Spirit to you and me, and from you and me out to our neighbors, our community, our country, and the entire world. Jesus is telling Nicodemus and he's telling us that to be born again simply means God is putting his spirit in you. He implants it deep in the heart of every Christian and it gives you new power. It changes you to your core. That's what Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gives us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us 
the message of reconciliation. Does that mean we, still don't, we don't still struggle with sinful desires that war against our soul? We don't fall short. We don't make dumb choices, sinful choices. Of course we do. But it means we have the power to resist those desires, and we have the power to do it freely and joyfully, knowing that whatever happens, we're already forgiven. So we know what the new birth is. It's massive mental, emotional, and volitional, volitional transformation. It's radical transformation. But, but who's it for? Jesus is talking to an incredibly moral person, a leader, a scholar. But Jesus isn't sending Nicodemus a LinkedIn a message congratulating him on his work anniversary. He's not, he's not saying, hey, Nicodemus, congrats. Uh, you've earned your reward. Now, let me just give you a little boost to get you over the top. Just the reverse. Jesus is saying, all your achievements, all your wealth, your leadership, your biblical scholarship, none of it matters when it comes to getting into heaven. You're no better off than anybody else. Jesus is saying, you've got to start over. You've got to go back to square one. You've got to start from the first day. You've got to be born again. Now, if that doesn't shake you, <laughs> it should. Because Jesus is telling one of the most religious men in Israel, look, I, I'm with you tonight. Nicodemus telling you your resume won't get you into heaven. You've got to be born again. And last night I was with the prostitutes and the tax collectors telling them the same thing. You're in the same place they are. Do you see how insulting that might sound to Nicodemus? But he doesn't leave. He, he doesn't storm out. He he takes it, and he continues to think about it. In fact, the next time we hear from Nicodemus, he's defending Jesus before the Sanhedrin in uh, John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51. And the last time we hear about Nicodemus, he's with Joseph of Arimathea, wrapping Jesus' body, preparing it for, a, for burial. It's amazing because religious leaders didn't do that. But there Nicodemus is, a Jewish leader with Joseph of uh, Arimathea handling the dead body of Jesus Christ. You don't see John there, or Simon Peter, or any of the other 12. They're all cowering in the upper room. From what we can tell, it was only Nicodemus and Joseph of uh, Arimathea. Gone is his fear of being seen with Jesus. The commentators I read all agreed that Jesus has now become a, a Christian. It looks like he was really born again. Not in an instant, but over time. He thought about it. He reasoned about it. He considered what Jesus said, and he weighed it. For some people, the, the experience of salvation comes in a moment. It, it happens instantaneously. Not Nicodemus. For him, new birth threatened everything. It threatened his position, his wealth, his, 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 uh, his very identity. Everybody's got to start over. Christianity is not something you put on your resume uh, amidst a bunch of other qualifications while you're applying for residence in heaven. Christianity is the only qualification. You're either in the room or you're out of the room. You're either born again or you're not. And so when it comes to applying born again, the first question for those of us who call ourselves Christians is, is pretty obvious. Are you? Have you truly experienced new birth? Has your mind, your emotions, your will been radically changed? Or is born again more of a brand identity? Remember, I mentioned born again, uh, the way Jesus uses it sounded a little bit like a non sequitur. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. 
I don't think it's a, a non sequitur. I think Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus, that's your problem. You think I'm a good teacher. You don't need a teacher, Nicodemus. You don't need a new telecast or another Bible study or a, a conference. You need a savior. And if there's any doubt about what Jesus is offering, look at what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus over and over calls himself the Son of Man. Here's how Daniel describes the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus is claiming to be the Son of Man, and that wouldn't have been lost on Nicodemus. He would have known exactly who Jesus was claiming to be. Jesus is saying, I'm the one. I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm the one who was promised throughout the Old Testament. I'm the Messiah. And then, in case Nicodemus still doesn't get it, Jesus points to another Old Testament passage. He says in Nicodemus, uh, he tells Nicodemus here in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What's this snake? Well, it's a little bit of an obscure reference maybe for some of us, but for, the Jew, for Nicodemus, it would have been a, a well-known story because it was a major event in, in, in the Exodus. It's in Numbers 21, and I'm going to paraphrase the story here. In Numbers 21, during their travels in the wilderness after leaving Egypt, uh, it says the people grew impatient and spoke against God and Moses. So the Lord sent snakes among them, and, and when they were bitten, the snakes killed them. But God told Moses to make a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole. And whenever anyone was bitten, if they looked at the bronze snake, they, they'd be healed from the snake venom. And if Nicodemus wasn't a Christian before uh, Jesus' crucifixion, when he saw Jesus nailed to that pole and lifted up, I believe he would have remembered what Jesus said. And, and, it, and if it hadn't clicked before then, I think that would have been it. What about you? Is, is Jesus your moral and spiritual guide? Or are you stuck in the paradigm of, of Jesus as teacher? Or have you broken through to Jesus as Savior and as Lord of your life? Don't let born again be a brand identity. Let, let it change you mentally, emotionally, and, and volitionally. Let Christ give you a new way of seeing things, new desires to serve the world, and, and new power to act out those desires. And for you don'ts, those who don't believe, who, who don't know or, or don't care, let me say, you're broken, and so am I. But Jesus Christ offers fresh life, new life. And yes, it's for the broken, because we're all broken. Compared to Christ, both the drug addict and the investment banker are sitting in a gutter. And the, one, the fact that one has a little nicer gutter than the other doesn't make them smell any better. But Christ doesn't leave you in the gutter alone. He stoops down and he joins you. He puts his arm around stinking you and he says, I love you. I'm with you. In fact, I am so with you, I die for you. I give up my life so you can have new life, reborn life, 
life you can't even imagine, a life filled with meaning and hope and love, and not just for the short time you're here, but for all of eternity. It's a gift. That's what John tells us in the very next passage in verse 16 that we're all so familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It doesn't say he so loved the Jews or or he so loved the winners or he so loved the religiously devout. It says he loved the world. You and me. You and me who, who mock him and belittle him and turn our backs on him. He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And it doesn't say he loaned his son to us for three days. It says he gave his one and only son. That's the good news. That's the the gospel. Christ offers all his love, all his forgiveness, and a full share in his kingdom. And he offers it all for free. It's It's a gift from the creator king of the universe because he thinks you're that important. He loves you that much. When you're born again, you realize you you owe God everything. But what do you get the man who has it all? A a membership in the Wine of the Month Club? He he can make better wine. Besides, you'd first have to steal it from him because it all belongs to him. Romans 11, uh, verses 35 to 36 says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He gives to us, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. We're going to come to the table. And as we do, I, I hope we reflect on the, on the gift God gives us. New life, abundant life, eternal life. And it's a free gift offered by God's grace, and it's all found in Jesus Christ. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how great. It doesn't matter how awful. He says, I give my life to win your heart, to bring you into my home, not as a servant, but as a brother, as a sister, as an heir to my father's kingdom. It's a miracle. One way you can know you're born again is if you wake up every morning astonished that Christ chose you to die for. Unfortunately, even the most well-meaning Christians can, can get this miracle all twisted around. We can think new birth is something we do. But that misses the metaphor. Birth is something that happens to us, not something we accomplish. Like babies in the womb, we can, we can do nothing. It's all done by the mother, and you mothers know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's painful, it's bloody, it's, it's full of anguish. But when the mother holds her new child, she knows it's all been worth it. Our new birth required sacrifice and pain and blood and anguish. But Christ looks down from the cross and he says, you're worth it. Nowhere in creation, nowhere, not even in the creation of infinite galaxies do we see the power of Christ more fully on display than when we see him pour his life out for the life of the world, for you and me. If you understand that you've received new life solely 
because of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, then, then this table is for you. And you are welcome to join us. If you don't believe that, I urge you not to partake because this is a meal for those who have been born again by the Spirit of God. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about or if you have questions, please see me or one of the other elders after the meeting. We'd love to talk to you. There is no decision you will ever make in your life more important than this one. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the br this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can prepare your packets if you haven't already. Father, we come to the table today recognizing your offer of new life. You allowed your only begotten son's body to be scourged and broken so that we who had betrayed you, who had made alliance with evil, might be reconciled and restored to you. Thank you, Father, for your mercy on us. Take and eat. And Jesus, you, by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created, you who knew no sin became sin, and then put sin to death through your broken body and poured out blood that we might become your righteousness. You were so intent to win our hearts that you accepted death, even death on a cross, so that we might experience new life, abundant life, eternal life, born again life. Thank you for meeting us at this table. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, we recognize you are the Spirit that clothes the perishable with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. For each of us here today, please, Holy Spirit, fall on us this week so that we know you are indeed present and that you are indeed the Spirit that gives new life. And now, if you're able, please rise and receive the Lord's blessing. This from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Go now, raised to new life by the grace of God, blessed to be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.